Another thing I wanted to mention here is that because of the emphasis our education system has put on standardized exams, the purpose of education has turned into exam performance rather than learning and experience. This is something I have become increasingly passionate about over the last few years. So much so that it bothers me when students mention that they hate school. Standardized testing originated in China, but it wasn't until roughly the 20th century when widespread use became pervasive in Britain. Although initially designed to choose officer candidates and others for positions to serve in the First World War, the rise of the Industrial Revolution brought compulsory education laws and a sharp rise in the number of grade school students to fuel the need for widespread testing in schools that did not require as much time and effort to grade or mass-produce as open-ended testing, such as essays. In the United States, standardized testing was not the standard, haha, first of many standardized test puns today, for college admissions purposes until after the Second World War, when the technology to machine score exams was made available and the GI Bill was introduced, which heightened accessibility of post-secondary education to veterans, and the formation of the Educational Testing Service, which regulated the SAT, or the Scholastic Aptitude Test. Over the last century, the prevalence and reliance of standardized testing has risen dramatically. It is convenient, objective, and reliable. Or is it? In today's episode, Ansem and I will unpack the reliability and flaws of widespread standardized testing, including socioeconomic disparities, evaluation purposes, and whether or not standardized exams are shattering the most overlooked reason to become educated, to learn, and the tragedy that the world faces as we continue to overvalue standardized exam scores. My name is Lindsay Nelson, I'm here alongside my co-host Ansem Wu, and this is You Do The Talking. As a quick note, for the purpose of audience engagement and relevance, today's episode will primarily examine standardized exams in grade school. One reason that standardized testing has been under fire is that we see a significant disparity in scores when evaluating students of different socioeconomic statuses. The SAT, or the Scholastic Aptitude, for example, an American college entrance exam regulated by a private not-for-profit, has particularly faced backlash over the socioeconomic disparities we have seen in scores. Note that across many studies, race is used as a proxy for socioeconomic status, or in other words, these studies have found incongruencies in scores between people of color and Caucasian people. And due to the large gaps in household income between these two groups, um, we see that people of color and thus people of low socioeconomic status yield lower scores than those non-people of color. According to the College Board, students whose families earn less than 20,000 US dollars annually score about 11% lower than average. Not a lot, but significant, as we see that we move higher up income brackets, students score higher and higher. I know what you're thinking, but okay, this isn't necessarily the test fault, right? I asked the same question myself. But the College Board, again, the quote-unquote nonprofit that regulates not only the SATs, but AP exams, has lobbied top colleges across America for years, claiming that high scores on their exams are the most accurate predictors of a high college GPA. However, external research has found that while SAT scores accurately predict first-year college GPAs for some students, a clear pattern cannot be identified, and therefore is not a wholly fair claim to assert. When comparing scores for white and Latino students on the math section, a lack of predictive accuracy was identified at 19% of colleges. This gap affected about 65,000 people. And when the researchers looked at the reading section of the SAT and compared black and white applicant scores, they found that the predictions didn't work at about 20% of colleges, again affecting about 65,000 people. 
So in short, we see that a standardized exam that is heavily relied upon by American universities is not the fair, objective, or reliable test that admission councils want to see it as. Unfortunately for American students, there is not really a sufficient alternative to the SAT. The ACT, a competitor, is still far behind when competing against the main SAT test. And when we see a monopoly, we see an agrarious compensation structure, especially for a self-proclaimed nonprofit. The College Board has grown operating profit margins to roughly 14%. Therefore, it is safe to estimate that the College Board made $150 to $160 million in profits in 2019. The College Board also has over $1.1 billion in cash and investments, according to public records. So let me be clear. There is nothing inherently wrong with making money if it is honestly earned and taxes are honestly filed. But it is problematic that the College Board is raking in massive profits when the cost of their exams and higher scores are not accessible to lower-income students. Fortunately, in 2019, the College Board came up with something that they call the SAT Adversity Index to try and help underprivileged students. This tool seeks to provide circumstantial context to colleges behind a student's score, including their neighborhood environment, family environment, and high school environment. The score is ranked between 0 and 100, with 100 being the highest adversity score. This is a good step in the right direction, but I am still skeptical when considering the College Board's skewed financial motives, and when considering that physical or mental disability was not a factor in their adversity index. So there's still lots more to consider. While the SAT is a good example to review when discussing the validity and reliability of standardized testing, I understand that most of our listeners are Canadians, so I wanted to put some of this in perspective. A large reason why standardized tests are not objective or fair is because of score discrepancies in students of different household incomes. Here are a few reasons why. Schools located in lower-income neighborhoods suffer from low funding for the simple reason that around 30% of a school is funded by property taxes collected in the school's catchment district. In areas where property is valued lower, schools will be funded lower. For example, the regular programming public high school in Edmonton that shows the lowest average diploma scores of 45.2% in 2017 is located in a neighborhood with an average household income of less than $40,000. In contrast, the regular programming public high school in Edmonton that shows the highest average diploma exam scores of 73.3% is surrounded by neighborhoods with an average household income of over $90,000. Where there is low funding in schools, there is less money for resources that equip students to earn higher scores. Offering advanced placement classes, which look great on college applications, offering prep courses, etc., all cost money, money in which these schools do not have. Second reason is that wealthier students often tend to perform better on standardized exams, not only because their wealthy parents can equip them with technology, um, the time, like they may not be required to work um, to provide for their families, um, and resources such as tutors and prep courses, but it's likely that their parents are college grads who strive to raise motivated kids where the expectation is that they too attend college. In short, what we can take away from this data is that high standardized exam scores are much more accessible to students coming from wealthier households. This is problematic because it is yet another factor that can fuel the vicious cycle of poverty. Students with wealthier parents have access to more exam prep resources, which aids them in achieving higher scores, getting them into top colleges with higher employability rates. The next thing we wanted to discuss is using standardized testing to evaluate schools and teachers um, versus students. 
One thing that can result from widespread use of standardized academic testing is teaching to the test or narrowing the curriculum to prepare students for exam results and fewer time for students to develop critical thinking skills. And in my opinion, this approach is a pernicious way to prevent students, unintentionally or otherwise, from truly enjoying their studies and learning to learn rather than to be tested. Another thing I want to mention here is that because of the emphasis our education system has put on standardized exams, the purpose of education has turned into exam performance rather than learning and experience. This is something I have become increasingly passionate about over the last few years. So much so that it bothers me when students mention that they hate school. They hate the homework, the monotone PowerPoint lectures, the unappealing assignments, and most especially the assessment models. But make no mistake, if you relate to the sentiment, yes, you might hate school, but the problem is that a disconnect has been created from learning and school. At this point, school does not equate to learning, at least not in the appealing and engaging way. Whenever I hear a, a peer mention this, all I want to do is go on and on about how much there is to learn outside of school and how much there is to discover outside of standardized curricula and how, unlike what our school system preaches, there will be possibilities to think for yourself and to truly create personal meaning to what you're studying. In high school English, we're taught that English class is about essays that defy creativity and novel studies that defy individualism because the assessment is a multiple choice test on grammar. Um, in math, we learn math, but all too often the critical thinking and problem solving skills are not emphasized enough as teachers teach solely to the test and the test alone. Not to mention that Alberta's social studies curriculum is so biased to the point that it can be a challenge to think for yourself. I'm saying this because I'm really tired of our school system stripping students of inspiration and of life. Because nine times out of ten, the people I talk to hate the current school system structure of learning, not learning per se. In a rapidly changing and polarized world where perspective is gold, we're not giving students enough opportunity to shape their own perspective and, and learn. The president of the Alberta Teachers Association, Jason Schilling, says PAT results don't measure creativity. They don't measure a student's ability to collaborate. They don't measure critical thinking. They're a snapshot of one moment in time. If you are unfamiliar with the PAT, the PATs are standardized provincial exams set by the government of Alberta that are distributed to grade six and nine students. And as a high school student myself, I have definitely found myself restricting the extent to which I want to learn something to the confines of the exam that I will take. Awesome. Do you have anything to add to this? But adding on to what you were saying earlier, Lindsay, I feel like you're not the only one because I was looking at a report from a speak out conference back in 2012, where basically, which is basically a space where students across Alberta discuss with other students and ind individuals that can make changes such as school trustees. And many students shared their input on diploma exams with one students saying that, quote, diploma exams can only test content-based learning, so strengths in teamwork, leadership, creativity are hard to evaluate in this format. And I feel like it's very disappointing that the government actually canceled the Speak Out conference that I mentioned earlier back in 2015, because I feel like this in concept is um, very 
is a great idea because students are able to share their opinions on a system which should be designed to help them do their best and learn as much as they can. And obviously, we do still have like the Education Minister's Youth Council, but that's only 32 students instead of the 240 that would be going to the conference. One very clear reason that standardized academic exams are delivered in grade school is that they can serve as a baseline for measuring student achievement and thus student achievement. When parents are deciding where to send their kids to school, they may look to average standardized test scores, such as SATs or diplomas in high schools, to PATs in elementary school, um, to anticipate the quality of education their child may receive. There is nothing inherently wrong with this, but I do have some thoughts on this logic. First of all, as we discussed extensively previously, where scores are often higher are where median income is often higher. So there's a good chance that you are not finding better schools, but higher income neighborhoods. Second of all, and this is a much more abstract argument, um, and I'm, I'm not a parent, I've never had to decide where to send a child to school, but in my opinion, I think that a child will likely have the best experience at school where they are most comfortable, and therefore where they have friends and where their teachers are kind and considerate people. I guess I'll leave it at that, but I personally do not believe in any kind of gifted program or academic challenge program. I don't think it's necessary, especially for younger elementary students. Um, and this is coming from a student who has been in these academic challenge programs and gifted programs before. Um, in high school, it's a bit of a different story, but I, I think it just divides kids um, more than anything. And I, I personally don't think it's beneficial. But of course, when we're looking at something like standardized testing, we have to look at both sides like any, anything else, right? What are the pros to standardized testing, Lindsay? Well, throughout my research, the only valid claim that standardized testing is beneficial is that it can assess the quality of an education system on a level playing field. However, I think this is kind of a skewed way to prioritize your values when the bulk of the stress and the accountability weighs on students' shoulders, right? Not to mention that as we have discussed earlier, standardized testing does not allow for a level playing field whatsoever, right? Um, I don't know, maybe standardized testing is the worst option when it comes to assessment, except for all the others. I mean, how do we truly ensure that teachers are not inflating student grades to get them into college, right? But what about all the other provinces, like Ontario, that do not have standardized provincial college entrance exams, yet their students apply to the same universities as Albertans and are held to the same standard? Yeah, so I totally agree with what Lindsay is saying here, right? The government of Alberta on their website states that basically the purpose of these standardized tests, in the case of the PATs and the diplomas, is to ensure that the students are learning what is expected of them and to have a province-wide standard for classes and to see individual and group results. However, I feel like we have other tests that judge a student's knowledge in comparison to the curriculum and in comparison to other students that are less stressful on the students. And I think a good example of this is this math test that I took. I believe it was at the beginning of grade nine and then at the end of the grade nine year. And we could see um, the individual and group result from this test. However, it wasn't 
worth a mark or anything. And and for seeing like an individual or group result, I feel like personally, projects and assignments, essays and written tests are just as good or even better of a judgment system in comparison to standardized tests. I agree. And I think I took the, I might have taken the same math test. I think it was a standardized, again, a standardized exam across um, admission public students, maybe even students across Alberta. And I think that it might, like when a test doesn't count towards your score, I think it might even be better for analyzing um, students' critical thinking skills, right? Because they don't need to prepare for it. So we're just getting a grasp of uh, their, their raw critical thinking skills um, with no preparation, which might even be more valuable data than a test that students do prepare for. Anyway, um, I think instead of administering such high stakes exam for students at such a fragile point in their academic career, like grade 12 when you're applying to college, I think we should instead look at factors like attendance rates, graduation rates, and the percentage of students that continue to post-secondary when we assess schools. And might I add that I think just as much as we need to assess students on their academic growth and achievement, I think we also need to be consciously and regularly assessing teachers and holding them accountable to deliver high quality education. Um, this might be a bit controversial um, and teaching is such an interesting position to be in, uh, especially because the large majority of them belong to unions and associations that frankly don't hold them to a very high standard in my observation. Uh, teachers often sign very long contracts that aren't often terminated based on performance alone. And they do not really report to anyone on a local level, meaning that principals in schools do not hold authority over contracts, as they're the head of students, not staff. So what I'm saying here is that if a school or even a particular class performs particularly low on a standardized exam, like an Alberta diploma exam, these teachers do not have to and will not often take responsibility for those low scores. Um, I mean, that is likely justified because, I don't know, maybe it's not their fault that students perform poorly on tests, but at the same time, if we're seeing re reoccurring patterns of this, a teacher literally cannot be held responsible for that. I mean, a school can coach them to become a better teacher, maybe shift their position around so they're teaching um, a, a course without a standardized exam, but I don't know. I find this a little bit disconcerting. Again, this is an entirely different but equally important conversation to have. I'm not saying all teachers are like this, but as a student in a public school system of 12 years now, I've had my fair share of lazy teachers milking their contracts and union memberships. Um, I've also seen phenomenal teachers, right? Um, but the problem here is that there can be little professional promotion for teachers, aside from department head positions and administrative positions, and thus little incentive to deliver the same high quality instruction year after year after year until the day they retire. Um, what I'm not saying, make no mistake, is that teaching, a teaching career is an easy career, right? But without intending any sort of slander, what I am saying is that I am a little bit averse to the fact that my high school phys ed teacher is on the same salary plan as my legendary high school French teacher and likely any of the legendary high school English teachers I've had in the past. Again, no disrespect to a career in education and no disrespect to any teacher, but I don't know, this is just very interesting and I must 
question this as I question everything. Um, in fact, um, I myself have considered a career in education. So definitely with all due respect to those in education. Awesome. Do you have anything to add to this? Yeah. So similar to Lindsay, I've had my fair share of, I would say, not so great teachers or less hardworking teachers compared to those who were phenomenally were phenomenal. And, you know, one experience I've had is just with this one teacher, of course, this was online. However, they basically did nothing for at least a week. Like, all they did was, like, attendance and then gave us time to, like, work out or, you know, go for a walk while they themselves were watching Netflix, which I think is just so sad like as like a state of our education system that teachers getting paid hundred like around a hundred thousand dollars a year are taxpayer dollars no less right yeah are just sitting on their computers watching netflix like i'm confused like i just think that they need to be held to a higher standard than what they are now for sure. And that debate has been continuing for, for years and years and years, um, right? Because there's really no way, as far as I'm concerned, especially in public systems where teachers are really assessed based on performance, which is really sad, actually. And frankly, if I were a teacher, if I were in, set up in that kind of career, I think that would be really hard because there would not be much of an incentive Aside from delivering high-quality instruction to your students, uh, if you really have their best interests in mind, um, to excel and um, yeah, to to excel in in, in your ranks at uh, professionally, right? So I don't know. Like, of course, they we see their professional development days and all that, but I'm still skeptical, and I frequently have teachers that I know don't really want to be teachers, but. I don't know. It, it can be a good deal if you, um, it can be a good deal. And honestly, in my observation, I think that teaching, um, in my observation, just by observing teachers, right? Observing teachers as a student, teaching can be as difficult as a career as you want it to be, but it can also be not very challenging. Again, I, I intend no slander, no disrespect, this is just my observation. Yeah, and in addition to that, I feel like students aren't really given an opportunity or a chance to, like, talk with your teachers and be like, hey, like, maybe you can improve on this. Or maybe, like, I don't know, like, for example, I, in my math class, I would rather have my teacher explain something more thoroughly than have time to work on homework right like that's just some feedback that I personally would have given and maybe the teacher would have been like hey like maybe that's a good idea for me to kind of help my students do better in the class does that make sense yeah for sure and I think that's great that it's giving your teacher feedback I think so many times students are afraid to give feedback to their teacher you know they fear um that they might get in trouble or something like that but I think it could be really important, especially because teachers, again, they're not, their performance is not assessed on a local level. 
as I mentioned earlier. Um, so I don't know. This is an entirely different conversation. I think we could go on and on about um, improving the quality of education we see in a public system um, and even comparing a public versus a private system. The next topic we're going to dive into is COVID and standardized testing. The public health crisis resulted in the cancellation of many standardized testing sessions, including the cancellation of Alberta diploma exams, the cancellation of the UK's A-levels, and multiple cancellations of the SATs. In fact, there was a time period where it was extremely hard to find a day and a time and a place to take your SAT in the United States. This begs the question, will COVID forever change the prevalence of standardized testing? Personally, I'm hopeful, but unsure. As the quality of education remains inconsistent for students across the globe right now, it has become abundantly clear to regulators of standardized tests that administering exam like, exams like these isn't fair. I mean, it never was, right? The College Board just recently announced that their subject tests and essay section will be abolished permanently. The rationale was that they want to place greater emphasis on their advanced placement exams, although I'm hopeful this is a step away from the College Board's monopoly and, and relevance overall. Um, second, Alberta diploma exams have been cancelled for the 2020-21 to school year. Um, I'm personally thrilled about this. Um, in my opinion, there is really nothing beneficial to an extent to a school and certainly not to a student about taking a standardized, highly regulated exam that is worth almost a third of one's grade 12 academic grade. If, if anything at all, I hope that the tragedy of education that the COVID pandemic has delivered will finally shed light on the disparities in education across the globe and locally. And potentially a new generation will begin to create some equity, not only in what we learn, but how we learn and how, um, and how we are assessed. I feel like Lindsay touched on this a little bit earlier about like the mental health effects of standardized testing. Standardized tests, specifically the diploma exam, I know have a pretty low average in comparison to the average you may have in class. For example, the math 30 average for the diploma exam is around 67%, and this is worth 30% of many students' averages. And because of this, they're often pulled down by this diploma grade, and sadly, many students determine their self-worth based on this. And they believe that these grades are a representation of their abilities in the real world. However, I personally believe that this could not be further from the truth. For example, my English teacher in summer school told us that the English reading comprehension test is something I would never see again in life or in university. Which I feel like is very interesting because we're this is reading comprehension thing is kind of drilled in us, kind of as we move up in the grade system and it makes me question what the purpose of it is on the diploma exam. Thanks for that, Awesome. The last thing I wanted to just, I don't know, mention is that it's very interesting how a lot of times standardized exams um, are argued that it's, it's for students, the sake of student learning, right? But how are we supposed to learn something from an exam that we never get to like go over, right? Like whenever I had a unit exam in high school, um, we'd take the test, and once everyone had an opportunity to write it, we got a chance to go over our answers and see where we went wrong. 
Um, so we could learn from it, right? Learn from our mistakes. That's the whole point. But in the case of like a diploma exam or an SAT, we don't get an opportunity to look over our mistakes. So how are we supposed to learn something from it? Especially when it comes to like writing sections and essays and stuff. If we're not learning at school, right, the whole point of education, um, how are we supposed to expect future generations to be prepared to to be prepared to anticipate and solve the problems of tomorrow? Um, I read an article not long ago that um, evidence has shown that literacy rates across Canada are declining. And I mean, that can only be detrimental to the economy and, and to democracy, right? So I think they're... What we're discussing here are huge, major questions, very convoluted issues with multiple sides to them. I mean, this is that's what the podcast is all about. So, I don't know. I, I don't think I... I don't have the answers. I just have experience and questions to ask. I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer them, but I guess that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. I had a lot of fun preparing for this episode. I found it very interesting, and I hope you found it interesting, too. Uh, My name is Lindsay Nelson. I'm here with my co-host, Hanson Wu. Uh, This is You Do the Talking. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and tune in two weeks from now. Thanks, everyone.